What's up guys, this is Tony Angus. Welcome to Chat Time, where I have a conversation with interesting people about the world we live in and the things that matter to us most. Join me each week for a sometimes fun, sometimes controversial, sometimes enlightening, but always enjoyable chat. Today I'm speaking with Master Jeff Speakman, ninth degree black belt in American Kenpo, inspirational leader behind the worldwide martial arts brand Kenpo 5.0, star of over a dozen Hollywood movies, including the 1990 classic The Perfect Weapon, and towering intellect. I think you'll be impressed and maybe surprised to hear how he thinks about life itself. I hope you enjoy the podcast. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me. I'm here with Master Jeff Speakman from uh, Kenpo 5.0. Sir, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Good day, mate. <laughs> and, That's the only time uh, I'm going to say that, by the way. I should. You, you probably could have warned me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how are things in sunny Vegas? Uh, it's blistering hot today. The summer has definitely arrived just a couple of days ago. So it went from uh, being a, a just warm to uh, unbearably hot. So it'll be like this for another two months and then we'll start to cool off. But it's, yeah. but it's a wonderful place to live. You know, I love living here. It's uh, going on my 12th year of being here and it's been a real pleasure. So much better quality of life than Los Angeles. Well, yeah, I don't uh, suppose that would be too much of a stretch, but um, um, what? just as we go into that, what are some of the things that Vegas offers for a person who actually lives there rather than a person who's turning up, you know, wanting to see the see the strip and, and do a lot of gambling? Yeah, what what yeah. sort of amenities does Vegas well, offer? Uh, well, there's a, a couple of things. One is when you live here, you find yourself almost never on the strip. You would go there just to be at a specific uh, dinner with friends. You might go for a specific show. But for those of us who go, we go down there, you do what your business is, and then you get the heck out of there because it's nothing but chaos and insanity and crowds and all that. So we live about uh, 10 miles west of the Strip. And it's a, it's a really nice community. And there are some casinos here. Uh, the, there, there's two overwhelmingly powerful upsides to living here. One, nothing ever closes. So yeah. when it's four o'clock in the morning and you want a bucket of crab legs, it's just down the street. Uh, and boy, it's easy to get spoiled like that because, you know, we take that for granted and we even go like stay in LA and we, we get there late and it's 10 o'clock. We go out to dinner and all of a sudden we find out everything is closed. You know, it's really crazy. So it's easy to get spoiled like that. And the other thing is most of us came here from Los Angeles or from someplace in California. Not all, but an awful lot. And the first upside is there's no state income tax. And the state income tax in California is 12%. So what? you automatically, yes, yes, you heard it right. And so if you come from California, you automatically get a 12% raise for doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah, then the wrong. cost of the cost of living is probably about a forty percent less than Los Angeles, not not than California, but uh, so a a four hundred thousand dollar house would be a very very nice place to live here, and it would not be a good idea to live in a four hundred thousand dollar house in Los Angeles. Then there's yeah. the last thing, which is your sanity. 
it takes you, you know, an hour to get anywhere in Los Angeles if you're lucky. The traffic yeah. is, is completely insane. And when you live there for a while, like I did for over 20 years, you, you realize that you build your entire life around travel time and traffic and spending most of your time in your car uh, in very, very anxiety-ridden, frustrating kind of circumstances. Anytime I've driven through uh, the States, and I remember in 2018 <laughs> when we were over for the camp, and so for the listeners, uh, Mr. Speakman hosts a wonderful martial arts camp in Las Vegas every year around this time, and unfortunately uh, it won't be happening this year, and we'll get to that. And I've attended on a dozen or more occasions. And we were the last there in, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2018. And um, yeah, we, we decided to drive from my sister's place in Santa Monica out mm. to uh, Dan Pribble's place in uh, Oak Hills. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't know that one, yeah. Yeah, and so we hit the, is it the 405? Yes. The parking lot of the 405. It was uh, the yeah. most frustrating yeah. thing I've ever come across. Yep. And we yep. took hours and hours to get what was, it took us nearly four hours to get there. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. And it took uh, under an hour and a half to get home. Right. Right. Wow. You know, the thing is, the, the, uh, the freeway system in Los Angeles is extremely efficient. It's just so incredibly overcrowded. So you can travel a huge amount of distance in non-traffic times in 20 minutes. Then everything yeah. else, it's two hours. The only problem is there are no non-traffic times anymore. You know, three yeah. o'clock in the morning, maybe. Other yeah. than that, you know, four o'clock in the morning, people are starting to go to work early and it starts getting crowded. Five o'clock, it's crowded all the way through. Then you figure, oh, by the afternoon, two, three o'clock, everybody's at work, nobody's going home yet. Still jammed. Then everybody starts going home and forget, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night, it's still crazy. I'm so, hoping that um, what happens is uh, with this COVID thing, uh, we've noticed here that a whole bunch of people have, organizations have learned pretty quickly that they can have staff work from home. So yeah. They, yeah. they've had to say, all right, well, you know, we were going to trial it maybe one day. We weren't sure if we ever get round to it, but uh, mm. we have to now. So we've got the bulk of our workforce working virtually and they realize that it actually works. That yes. productivity is still exactly. up. Yep. I think what will happen is I'm hoping that what will happen is we'll see a lot of organizations saying permanently, we'll keep many of those staff working from home permanently. And that way there'll be a, a decrease in overall road use, which has got to help Los Angeles. It, it will help in that aspect. But now even Los Angeles and the bigger cities are going to have an enormous problem with real with you know, commercial real estate. Yeah. It's going to crash and it's going to be billions and billions of dollars are going to be lost because nobody's going to the big high rise buildings anymore. They're all staying home and working from home. You're looking at probably, you know, more than 50 percent, clearly more than 50 percent of the people will not be physically going into work anymore. Yeah, and that's crazy. You think about all of the uh, empty work space, they're either going to have to lease it at incredibly discounted rates right. or turn them into K 
car park structures or uh, hotels or something else. Right. It, it might go by the way of, you know, like a, a loft studio apartment so people can live and work there. But even if they do that, they're going to have to spend a ton of money transitioning those buildings over. And how are they ever going to get their money back? I mean, it's just, this is going to be, uh, you know, a forever change for us, for all of us on planet Earth. But, yeah, exactly but you know, right. I, I think it's, I think it's, a, it's a really great opportunity for us as human beings on planet Earth to reevaluate what's really important to us. You know, yeah. especially for us in America, it's been cannibalistic capitalism for decades decades and and it's it's not just i want to get my piece of the pie it's i'm going to get my piece at the pie of the pie at your expense it's it's i'm going to set you up so that you lose so i can take your stuff you know and that mentality which i call business from the head as opposed yeah. to business from the heart you know yeah you you know like you and i have a very very strong common denominator here, this Kempo 5.0 martial art that we share. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> we all, it, you've been a, a part of it from day one. And we built this thing on the idea that other people's success is our success. So we help make other people successful. And in turn, we become successful because of that. That's, that's the opposite of the rest of the world. So this is an opportunity that's going to be, you know, it's, it's not the, the transition and change is going to be incredibly rapid and it's not going to be pretty. But I hope on the other side, you know, that we're going to come out better. I think you're, um, you, <clears throat> I haven't heard cannibalistic um, capitalism before, but it's so, that's such a potent phrase because it just, it just <clears throat> conjures up exactly what you wanted it to, to conjure up, which is businesses looking for someone else to just eat to consume and right. and to sort of uh, shit out the other end, you know, it's just a, an extraordinary uh, an extraordinary way of doing business where you aim. And I find myself feeling very much like a used up product on many occasions with with the current system. And I think that's terribly sad. <clears throat> and I think um, it does show that you know, as human beings, we we still have a way to go to work out how to be together as a global society, how to treat each other, because you've got the failed experiments of communism and um, uh, left, far left socialism. You've obviously got the failed experiments of fascism and yet capitalism, which is what's propped up the world for so long mm -hmm. is now starting to self consume. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and, um, yeah, so, so yes, I, I'm to totally in sync with you on that. And, and look, you're an Australian and I'm here in the United States, and yet we see things exactly the same. So yeah. I think what has to happen is that all of us who see things the same have to work together to create a new approach to how we're going to interact with each other on planet Earth. Uh, you know, if you, if you listen to Sam Harris, he says, look, we got about 50 years, you know, and then somebody over there on the other side is going to figure out how to make a portable nuclear bomb and everything is going to change because they get to go to the pearly gates or 71 virgins, uh, wait, ah, 72 versions, right? I got, I got to get that straight. I'm sorry. It was that last one who joined. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a few years ago, I was in New Zealand 
and I gave a talk at one of the Marais there, and I presented an idea of how I look at things, which is, I call them the, the walls of illusion, these separate walls that separate all of us. And they are just illusions. Uh, they could be race, they can be economic structure, they can be uh, geography, what country you come from, all, all of that stuff. They're, they're created by people and supported by people who benefit from separation. Yeah. And how they, how they benefit is that if they can keep, you know, you, you know, the Jews against the Arabs and the Armenians against the Turks and the blacks against the white, if they can keep that thing going, conflict is the natural byproduct of that. And then they cash in on that conflict because they create these solutions where I'm going to save you. You know, I mean, this is a, the political ploy every single election cycle. You know, we've got to save you poor guys who are, who are trapped and failing, and I'm the guy who's, you know, going to bring it home for you. Well, they certainly you bring something home. Stuff. Yeah, it's just more like an enema than a solution. But, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> well, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so until we decide that we're going to take these walls of illusion down and realize that we all came from the same place and we're all on this earth together and we have to figure out a way to be with each other that is something other than religious in its orientation because once yeah. again religions are against each other you know so until we find a new communication system to move forward on an equal basis we're going to continue to cycle through the same thing again until who, who knows what you know the mushroom cloud over new york thing you know and you're right the 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 mechanism would seem to be science but there's so much opposition to anything that <clears throat> looks and sounds and feels like science you know there's even a I hear recently there's an anti-science movement in the United States at the moment because some goofball from some uh, activist group, I'm not going to say it's Black Lives Matter, but it's something like that. So uh, just to be clear, I'm not saying it's them, but it's one of those activist groups has come up with the notion that science itself is dis discriminatory and racist because traditionally it's been old white men. And so <clears throat> while that may be the case, it doesn't mean that science itself is a problem. What it means is that the people that we've got and the way we're thinking about science and the way we're sharing science isn't quite suiting our needs. <clears throat> but there doesn't seem to be a more secular, more balanced, more tried and tested, peer-reviewed system available to us in any right. other structure and yet we're right. rejecting science. and then the other thing we do with science of course is we take we take what we can get and become destructive with it so as you say yeah. it's somebody goes oh we've learned how to split the atom let's blow people up with that shit you know right. Right. Ooh, oh we can fuse we can we've developed nuclear fusion let's kill people with that or oh right. there's this wonderful virus that we've been able to create in a lab let's <clears> release <throat> it on the world you know, so if, right. that's the problem is it's always going to be humans attached and not all humans have got the right agenda. Right. Well, and if I were to try to sprinkle a little flavoring of optimism on this, yeah, because it's the discussion from both of us has been anything but optimistic. <laughs> um, it, maybe uh, there's, there's a, a tsunami, a wave coming 
of rational, reasonable thought because communication is now open. Like you and I doing this is the perfect example. And maybe more level-headed thinking people will start to be in more uh, positions of control and influencing others. The, the thing is, <clears throat> the power structures that have existed and supplied power to those folks we're talking about are not going to just curl up and die. They're going to fight for their piece of the pie that they manipulated and stole and controlled and shoved down the throats of everybody else. They're not going to just go, hey, that's a great idea. Why don't we all just get along? Because getting along doesn't make war machines. It doesn't create Halliburtons of the world. You know, we've, you create enough, enough army, and then they got nothing to do. So we got to create something for them to go to. You know, California is the most litigious state in the country of, of my country in the United States. We keep, we keep graduating, you know, six, seven, eight thousand dollars, eight thousand lawyers every year. They got to go to work. And so they're going to go create work, you know, where there is no work. And so now they're just going to sue for everything. And then uh, I can tell you from firsthand experience, that's exactly the world that we live in over here. Yeah. So you're, you're a bit stuck, you know. So to find your way through that maze with a solution of how to come out on the other end will take – a, a major event, a, a pandemic, a nuclear bomb, a something. Because the you know, at least I, I always say over here, we usually put up a stop sign in an intersection after some kid has been killed on a bicycle. Then everybody goes, oh, geez, we should have put up a stop sign. Let's do it now. Okay, but the kid is dead, you know? And you knew you should have put a stop sign up there, but you didn't. Yeah, and, that's, and the that, that's the problem. Exactly. I was listening to a podcast recently and uh, they had this throwaway line. Somebody said, I think we're going to need to have a, uh, an alien attack to bring humans together. You know, it's, there doesn't seem to be too much else that we're going to need. It's going to have to come from off the planet to bring us yep. all together and go, oh, now we've got a common enemy rather than looking around for the enemy. And it may be very much a hangover of ancient <clears throat> tribal days where we were suspicious of that tribe over there because they're going to mount the hill with their spears and they're going to take our lunch from us. Right. And we've got to protect ourselves <laughs> against them and them and them and all these little nearby tribes that live five miles in any direction. Mm. And we sort of raised for hundreds of thousands of years with this self-protective mechanism in place. Right, right. And then as our boundaries have expanded, our borders have expanded, become countries we're, we're doing the same thing within countries we're now going us and them we've got to protect them from coming in and it doesn't help that a lot of the history is full of them coming in and take exactly that. Yeah. yeah it doesn't doesn't help um, nope. and now we've got to find a way of being us as a, a global society well the only way to do that is for alien right. attack and so maybe, you know I'll, maybe you've heard this one but uh the strongest evidence of the, uh, the idea that there is alien life out there outside of planet Earth is the fact that they choose not to come here. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. They're going, uh-uh. They look down there. Yeah, anything that's got that kind of uh, technology, 
they're going to be able to look at where they, they, they fly by planet Earth. They look down and go, I ain't going to forget that. You know, I'm out of here. Let's go someplace else. Let's yeah, pick a wormhole and see where it takes us. Yeah, we can get a beer in uh, Alpha Centauri, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Uh, right. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, you, I, I always end up with this discussion where you and I don't talk about uh, martial arts at all. We talk about life and politics and, uh, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. They're incredible times over there. And, and I mean, it's hard not to, and it must be really hard not to, to live in the United States and not to be thinking about racial riots and, you know, the George Floyd and, you know, police brutality and uh, the upcoming elections and the fact that you've now got one old man versus another old man, one old white guy versus another old orange guy. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just so, I mean, honestly, you, most people I imagine want to get on with life. They just want to do, Let's just, you know, let me go to work. Let me go back to sport. Let me go to my martial arts. Let me have my family. But you're inundated by this controversy all the time. And, um, yeah. you know, anybody that can sort of swim along that and not be sucked in by that vortex must be doing really well. Yeah, it's, a very, it's an impossibility because you're, uh, in, in my view, this has come down to and it isn't the first time, but it's come down to, uh, are you a person filled with hate or are you a person filled with seeking solutions? And uh, the, um, my, my extreme and sincere gratitude for our president is that he showed what a huge percentage of the population of my country is much more interested in hate and conflict than solution and getting along. Uh, this was something I was radically ignorant of because I intentionally stay far away from people who are hate-filled. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you, would, you, you develop a sort of a sensor for that, you know. A little warning thing goes off where you hear somebody say something and you go, you know what, and, and look, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. And I understand clearly what the problem of being judgmental is, you know. When, when you judge others, then you, you're judging yourself and you can't get further along spiritually. But to me, and this may sound just like a, a word game, but it isn't. You know, there's one thing of being, to having judgment on someone. There's another thing to have preference. Yeah. So I'm not going to judge and say you're right and wrong, but I'm going to prefer not to be in your energy sphere. You know, you go live over there and you do your thing. Just don't come over here and take a dump in my Cheerios, you know, because because then we're going to have us a problem. But 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 still, if you want to look at the entirety of things, um, you know, this is how how demagoguery is born and how dictatorships are created and everybody else is the enemy and I'm the one who can do the thing, you know. And, and then even if you go, OK, great, let's see. Show me. Dazzle me with your brilliance. Lay out the depth of your intellect and your loquacious language and your depth of knowledge of the world and human beings and history and human interaction. Lead me. You know, show me the, the depth and breadth of your intellect. And that's where we wind up terribly short a lot of the times. Yeah, well, this um, it reminds me of personal relationships where sometimes you 
you might meet somebody and they present as everything you've ever wanted. You know, they, they uh, from a male perspective, you know, they're gorgeous. They've got a great figure. They seem so sweet. They can cook, they can clean. They just want to lavish attention on you. They seem to be genuine until you end up together and they're completely insane. And that's kind of that, that thing where they, they, they're presenting like on a uh, dating service, I guess is what I'm getting at is they present something mm. different than what they actually are mm. until you right. buy the product. Right. And then you go, all right, now you're going to, now I'm going to take off that and show you what I really am. And I think, I think you've been uh, subjected as a nation to that over the last few generations where it's, it must be incredibly difficult to be a politician and I don't even profess to understand the <clears> mechanisms <throat> behind it and I certainly wouldn't want to be a politician. But one thing I, I, I see even in, and in our country the same is that they announce themselves as a saviour and then they just come in and they drain the swamp and then they replace the swamp with another swamp. Yeah, so, right. you know, I mean... Right. And that's, and that's kind of, you know, that, that must be very frustrating to live in amongst, I find it frustrating even in a fairly centrist country like Australia, where our two parties are quite centrist anyway. The right mm. and left are pretty closely aligned on most things. And the mm. radicals in any direction <clears throat> tend to get sort of the public go, ah, that's, it's just too radical for us. Let's not do that. And right. so the two parties really just go to war over minor issues and really the country functions one way or another and doesn't lurch from one extreme to another, depending on the party. Right. I think we've got it terribly wrong. And I, I look forward to the time when we do find solutions and we don't use that divide and conquer mentality that you were describing earlier. Right, right. Here's, here's my concern that, uh, you know, you and I, keep up on things as best we can and watch the world turn. And uh, the, the technological changes that have come about in the last 10 years are going to yeah. be, be dwarfed by what's going to happen in the next two to five. Yeah. And, and one of the outcomes of this tremendous technological advance that we're just launching now is going to be millions and millions, tens of millions, ultimately hundreds of millions of people are going to be out of work. They're just, yeah. and they're not, they're, you, here's the problem in my country, that's already happened to a large extent, and a very large part of our country is less than ultimately educated. They can't go beyond where they are right now. Well, when somebody comes in and wipes out your industry, just with technology, it's, it's easy to, easier to blame a trade deal, and, and certainly they have been very problematic, but maybe, maybe. 20% of the problem is that. The 80% of this is what's been happening since the end of World War II. You know, when Henry Ford mechanized everything, right? And then you, you pick an industry, it's just become that. Now, what's gonna happen when all cars become uh, uh, driven by themselves? How about, how about 18 wheeler trucks are gonna be delivering without the use of a driver? They're, they're talking about 13 million people being displaced out of work just from that industry alone. And then, you know, you're, you're going to use Uber to get around, but there's not going to be anybody driving the car. 
Yeah. You know? So Uber is going to buy a bunch of cars and have them work 24 seven. And all those people that are driving Uber an hour that are subsisting as a second and third job, you know, driving for Uber every now and then that's going to be gone. So yeah. looking into the next five to 10 years, th this is what I think the biggest problem is because what you can't do is go back. And this is the hard lesson that most of the people are not wanting to embrace is once change has happened, you can never go back. Never. And in the martial art, you and I do, you know, we do the fifth evolution of Kempo Karate, hence the name Kempo 5.0. And, and our motto is embrace change to create the future. Because if you don't, change is coming whether you like it or not. So what side of the solution matrix do you want to be on? You know, so if you don't, independent of whether you like it or not, you know, something like blockchain is coming and it's going to change the financial structure of the entire world. And it may happen in the next two years. So what's going to happen to the banking industry and to the real estate industry? And you and I will be able to exchange money instantly and there'll be some kind of currency that we'll be using that there'll be no currency change fees. So all that stuff is going to change. Um, I don't know if you guys do there, but there's people here having this conversation about a thing they call universal income. Have you heard about that? Yeah, universal basic income. And I, and I, yeah. I must say that um, the universal basic income seems to be gathering a lot of momentum. And I really like the idea that, um, you know, we, we get just for subsistence and ability because otherwise what do you do with people who are displaced and and there aren't enough jobs to retrain them into so i mean we could right. you can retrain everybody as a an it mechanic you know so all of the automatic machinery that's working will need a mechanic to maintain it right but you can't train everybody to be a, a machine mechanic or an it repair person you know an it person that updates software and things like that. You can't retrain everybody to do that, but right. they have to be able to live. Otherwise you've got people now homeless turning to crime, right. you know, and living on the streets and the whole thing starts to collapse in on itself. So I That's think right. universal basic income in whatever shape, way, shape or form, I think it has to be a way forward. It has to be on the table as a discussion point. And as I think, you know, my undergraduate degree is in the behavioral sciences. I'm actually writing my first book right now, Leadership in the Martial Arts, a Behavioral Approach to Creating Success. Nice. And I hope that'll begin uh, a public speaking kind of life for me. This is my next uh, venture moving forward. Because there are essential, basic, common sense, punishment, reward, basics, that if you, if you understand them and how they work, and you employ them in your assessment of a situation, it can really, really help every single day of your life. So they're very easy to learn. And the interesting thing is you're already doing it. Yeah. You're already unknowingly using punishers and reinforcements to create a re desired result. You just don't know how the mechanisms work. And so there's a huge failure rate. So if you just will think of it a little bit different, it gives you another perspective and life gets a hell of a lot simpler when you adapt these very basic four elements into your analysis of how to go through life. But back to the 
behavioral thing <clears throat> because I think that way. Um, the, the idea of a universal basic income is completely counterproductive to how human beings live and work. And you're, you're creating apathy and, and an undriven people. They got nowhere to think, to where to go, to do. And that's, if we can figure out a solution for that, then we're going to be okay moving forward. But, but like you highlighted, just taking somebody from category A and teaching them how to work in category B, you're, you're still going to have millions of people unemployed, you know? So well, we got to think about that because, you know, there's all, there's the balance of the haves and the have nots. Right. And, and one of the social theories is this is what drives all this kind of violence that we see. So it's people who have things that deny other people the access to those things. Now there, there used to be a thing in my country called the American dream. Right. And I, I certainly would be considered that coming from a guy who never did anything in acting before, never did. And I did my trip with the movie star thing and the stuff I did. That was certainly a, a quantum leap forward. So those opportunities just either don't exist anymore or or and whatever ones are out there are being decimated because it isn't about will we give the job or the opportunity to the person who deserves it. Will we give the job or the opportunity to the person that graduated from the same university I did? Is he a family member? Nepotism. And then you still have the powerful ruling families who really have all the money and control what the stock market does. You know, we have all these interesting euphemisms like market forces, you know, <laughs> and that's where they right. Market for like there's this invisible thing out there. It isn't. It's people yanking on the strings causing things to crash, they buy low, sell high, hello. And so now it's, you know, you hear a lot of the talk about <clears throat> how the middle class is decimated here in my country and all of the wealth has gone to the top 1%. And it really is true. Those statistics are staggering. They are staggering. You continue to take opportunity away from people and eventually there'll be the uprising. What happened in Russia with the Red Army and Trotsky, you know, he, what was he? He was a journalist, you know, and he, he raised an army to, to fight for the rights of the people. Lost. The French Revolution but, in the 1700s. Uh, uh, it was all, all, about that. That, um, all throughout history, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you're, you're quite right, and this is probably what a lot of the riots are about over there, is this sense that I am completely undervalued as a person, there is no, there, there doesn't seem to be any mechanism or any attempt, any real solid effort to have, and, and humans need to be recognized, you know, even on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're working towards that self-actualization, and yet so much of society is keeping us just down on layer one, as long as you're safe and, right. and you know, you're looking after personal safety <clears throat> the whole time, and even the way the rhetoric of the politicians is all about build a wall to protect people coming in from a country and taking what's yours. And so they want to keep you thinking about layer one. Meanwhile, they're allowing the elite to self-actualize up here at the highest levels. And I think that's where we innately go, hang on, you know, don't just jam me down into the also rans. I'm worthwhile okay. and I need to and I need to feel worthwhile. I need I have that human need to self-actualize, at least to feel worthy 
And so the universal basic income, I think that one of the things that's in discussion, it's on the table at least, is they must be provided something to do that is a contributing factor to society for right. that basic income. Now, whether that's planting <clears throat> trees or tending gardens or picking up waste, it doesn't really matter. But if you're going to subsist on a universal basic income, you must then contribute. Now, how do you police that? And right. what do you say to those that aren't? And where do you put those that go, screw you, I'm not doing that? So, yeah, it does raise a whole bunch of problems, but these are shifted problems from where they currently sit today. And I think that's the interesting topic is how do we shift our focus and can we make it on something better? At least if, if we move from the, the idea that we just suppress the population into thoughts about their own safety that's you know because that's just keeping everybody low lowest common denominator and then you know i think that's a poor way of running a society also when you're constantly talking about safety you're constantly saying you're under threat from them and them and them and there goes that tribalistic fight or flight neanderthal primal behaviors well we're supposed to be better than that yes no stay right on that thought but think about this in that scenario you just laid out, there are people who are going to benefit from that strife. There are people yeah. that are going to benefit from that conflict. So if those people fought ahead and went and created more situation to create more conflict, then they're going to benefit even more. So instead of going in in our case here, instead of going south of the border, whether it's Mexico or into South America, and trying to create a solution so that people can have a better life there, and they won't necessarily feel like they have to for their own life, not livelihood, but just to be alive, take their family, run for their life, and try to get over the border into Mexico and over the border into the United States, and maybe over the border into Canada, just to, just to survive. That's how bad it is. So there are people who benefit from it being bad because then they keep those people willing to do anything at any pay scale to survive. So this is what the problem is because there are people that you and I don't know about who get underneath the skin down there, who pull those mechanisms and those levers and they actually benefit from the horrific life that they have in Panama and down in, South America, that the gangs and the drugs are doing what we see on the news all the time. There are people that benefit from that. And so is it possible that people actually don't care about other human beings enough that they would set them up to be murdered and kill and die and to just to support their financial gain? Yes, and all over the place. And it is an embarrassing thing about where we are and what we've done to each other as human beings. What's really interesting to me is if you, because you brought it up a couple of times, what's happening because of, you know, the out-and-out murder of of civilians by the police here has been going on, has, you know, they throw money at it, they give it lip service, and then they, they just ignore it. And it keeps coming back up. And you have a thing like Black Lives Matter that, that is just misunderstood. So I, just been chatting with some of my other friends who give me the idea that they don't understand 
why they call it Black Lives Matter. And it's a bit insulting to them because it should be all lives matter and all. And you know, so what I try to tell them is you just don't get it, do you? It just isn't about, they're not saying Black Lives Matter and none others do. Yeah, that's they're right. trying to say our Black Lives Matter like yours. Yeah, too. But we don't read it that way because we can't fathom 400 years and slavery and the torture and the murder and, and, and the oppression and forcing them to live in those, that squalor. No good schools. No, I mean, you name it. And it's been that way. The history of my country is, you know, a land invasion, you know, from Europe genocide of the American Indians, and then the wealth was built on the back of slaves. There, were, there weren't even indigenous people. Yeah. That's something that you're going to have to face sooner or later. And the reckoning looks like it's now. So if you can't fathom why there is this anger and this looting and these people tearing things apart and burning down, that's just frustration on a level that you can't imagine because you live in a nice house and you're white and you drive a good car and you've got your job and you got your thing. You can't fathom having to live in those conditions. And until we empathize with that situation, and yes, there certainly are plenty of people that are there for all the wrong reasons and stealing because they can, and that's always going to be there. Anytime you put a group of human beings together, there's going to be trash, right? You know, this is, this is the big thing you mentioned about immigration into my country and the border and the Mexicans and how my president, you know, was saying when he was getting elected, the murderers and the, this is what's coming across and they're taking your jobs and they're taking, look, flip it around. If Mexico was great, we were trying to get into Mexico, we would gather at the border. We're a bunch of human beings. You put human beings together and what's innate with every single group is all this terrible stuff that we do to each other. All you have to do is look at history. So I would like to make the argument that we are evolving. Our consciousness is rising. We're realizing things like what you and I are talking about. And through this level of conversation, maybe there'll be a solution, something to work for, hope, not hate. And my yeah. country is very divided because it is run by hate right now. And it it's seems a, to be, um, disappointing. It seems to be the fact that we have to have sayings, little pithy sayings like, um, don't confuse kind, my kindness for weakness. The fact that that saying has to exist in the first place indicates to me that we are frightened and, <clears throat> and divide between even, even politically, and that's the most obvious, you know, the low, low hanging fruit that I could talk about. But the fact that you can get a group saying that if you are a socialist of socialist bent, in other words, I just, I'm just left-leaning, I want to look after people, and, and your words, hope not hate, you're going to get people on the right side of that going, yeah, but you're weak, you're, an, you're a cupcake, you're a snowflake, mm -hmm. you're a... Have you ever stood at a border with a gun? Did you ever go into battle overseas and stand up against the uh, terrorists? No, because you're a cupcake. And you go, hang on, just because I said hope, not hate? You know what? There's, there seems to be this disconnect. People just want to be cowboys. They want to chew on their, you know, tobacco. 
and spit and they want to grab their groin and say, you know, and squint through their cigar smoke and they want to look down at everybody who feels for humanity. And, and yeah. once you have that mentality, once you, if you can get into an argument and look, I've been a bit of an agitator online and Facebook at times, I like to drop a pebble in the water and just see how it ripples. And occasionally, you know, I get feedback and some of the feedback is, you know, if I'll say things like, come on guys, we can have a discussion without arguing. You can have a disagreement without hating mm -hmm. each other. We can have a discourse where we just put our, eyes, uh, our ideas on the table and not hate each other for being in opposition of viewpoint. Mm -hmm. So why do we have to add insults and threats and all those childish behaviours? Now, as soon as I say something like that online, I get the, well, if you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. <laughs> you know well, what do you do with that what do you do with that right yeah. i mean it's it's a level of pathetic <laughs> that i i have no comeback for but that's what it's designed to do and they will then say i had a mic drop moment with this guy online where i said to him if you can't stand the heat stay out of the kitchen mic drop i win because everyone else is scratching their head going you know if you're going to function at such a lowbrow level, how do we have an intellectual conversation about how to move forward when you're hanging on to bumper sticker ideals? Right. Well, you're, you're consciously, <clears throat> by your free will choice, engaged in a conversation with a group of people that I won't engage with. So yeah. conspicuously absent, from Facebook yeah. and all of those things is me. Because I'm not going, you know, I, which you know, and maybe some other people watching know, you know, I went through stage four throat cancer in 2013, and it was a flip of a coin if I was gonna live or not. So I come out on the other end of that, you know, and I go, okay, I have X number of heartbeats left, and then it's over. So the salient question is, how do you want those heartbeats to be spent. How yeah. best can I serve the greater humanity, first of the people that I love and care for, and second, the broader range of trying to create. I want to be on the solution side of these really big problems. They're really big problems that can only be solved by a world consciousness, a global consciousness, global warming, nuclear war, you know, the economy the way it's going. Pandemic. <clears throat> pandemics um, and that's going to take communication cooperation all of that stuff and how do we build that by building a coalition of bringing people together who are thinkers and communicators so as wonderful and fantastic as the internet and communication and Facebook has been it's you know the pluses of that are diminishing quickly because what's overtaking the population of that is the proletariat. You know, yeah. welcome to the bottom of the barrel, ladies and gentlemen. It's on full display 24-7, any way you look. Now, here's the thing. Very valuable piece that I learned from my uh, behavioral education stuff. And that is when you participate over in one of those areas like that, you reward and reinforce that <clears throat> group 
consciousness only because of your presence, only because you participate. Even if you go in there and you fight, you go, no, you guys are wrong. You're getting it wrong. It's got to be like that. You feel like you're doing the right thing, but you are, and maybe you are doing the right thing, but there is a portion of what you're doing, which is inadvertently reinforcing the wrong idea. Yeah. Just your presence in there is making them important. When I became the movie star of Temple Karate and did the whole thing, and then after Mr. Parker died and uh, people who were Temple people who were my seniors, who benefited directly from the movies that I did and whatever it was that I accomplished, were vehemently opposed to me, very insulting to me. And, and it really rocked my world because I thought for sure, especially after the passing of Mr. Parker, that we would coalesce around this thing that we've now created, right? And people were just throwing stones from the other side. I just thought, is it possible that you're just jealous because I became the movie star and you didn't? I mean, you know, it's, it's that mentality that I can't even figure it out. <clears throat> then a good friend of mine who you happen to know by the name of Bob White gave me some advice that has worked daily, monthly, weekly for many, many years. And it's a very simple quote, and I'm gonna share it with you right now, and it's this. Other people's opinion of me is none of my business. Yeah, I've been using that for years where, um, and, and it came out of a discussion, actually uh, a domestic situation that was going on with friends. And I was asked to intervene because of my mediation and negotiation communication training. Yeah. Yep. I was asked yeah. to intervene on their behalf. <clears throat> and that was what came out. And this was oh, nearly 20 years ago. And I said to them in that moment, but it's none of your business what they, are, what they think of you. It's, that's, we all think things of someone else. We think of, you know, we, we think things of our cup of tea. We think things of our surroundings. We think things of the people in our lives. And it has nothing to do with anyone else what we think. The only time that you can be in trouble for thinking is if you're thinking about murdering somebody and then starting to go through with that. Or, mm -hmm. you know, you're thinking about the commission of a crime and you start to take steps. <clears throat> but mm -hmm. that, right? So <clears throat> I've actually been that in my life forever. And it is hard because those of us that do have caring as part of our personalities we do care what people think and we do care that our reputation is not sullied in any um, unfair way. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's almost a miraculous saying that, you know, you don't have any right to intervene on what people think. Right. And what the, the thing that I find <clears throat> that most people miss, and I was one of them until I learned it uh, at the university I attended, the most positive reinforcer that you've got that's under your control is your attention. So yes. you go and pay attention to someone. You listen to them, you look at them, you react, you respond. Immediately you empower that situation. Yeah. You empower that person, whether you think you are or not, because you'll think, well, I was arguing with him and I took the evidence and I stood up for myself and I gave voice to the blue, you know, you do all that. Okay, that's true. But the thing you did before that was you made that person important because you reacted. 
So all that stuff out there that happened to me in the martial art world and all that, I never reacted. Because if I did, I made you important. And the truth is, if you were important, you wouldn't be saying that shit in the first place. Yeah, so you can give credibility and credence to small-mindedness by giving it energy, can't you? Absolutely. I've, I've, I've said this to, you know, when I go in and give big seminars in martial arts, and I know the other people who have been in there with these people are, are really not credible at all. And they yeah. have, you know, they bought rank, they sold rank, they just added rank, and they, you name it. And, and this is my point to them. When that person is standing up here teaching where I am now, and you cross the threshold of that doorway, and you pay your money to listen to this guy, whoever it is, you are saying it's okay that that guy wears a 10th degree black belt. Now, how does that guy measure up to Ed Parker, the guy that created all of what you and I do? How does that guy get to wear a 10th degree black belt? Whose signatures are on his diploma? Who did he, what has he done to advance that? Give me something. And, and unless you realize how powerful you are by just turning attention towards something, until you understand the power of that, then you're always going to make the same mistake. What's the mistake? You reinforce the wrong behavior. Because there's 100 people standing in the room who paid money to watch some guy stand up there and teach a Kempo seminar who has no right to wear a 10th degree black belt or a 9th or an 8th or whatever. And you know it, but you still showed up. And that's where you've got to stop and realize the power of your attention and how it controls other people and other things in your environment. You know, we have an enormous banking structure here which I'm sure they would sue me if I used their name, but it was just like two years ago, they opened over a million bank accounts without anybody else's permission, right? Their customers. They opened over a million bank accounts, charged them for it, and never asked them if they wanted to open a bank. Well over a million. It, they got busted. They got fined. It was a huge news story. Everybody knew about it. Okay, now the way this is supposed to work is you look at that, and if you're a member of that bank, you take your money and you go to another bank because that's how democracy is supposed to work. And nobody did anything. It really? made the news. Those guys paid, you know, half a billion dollars to find a number that would blow our minds for them. It's, you know, lunch money, you know, would blow our mind. Right. And you think, Oh, well, they got money. You're supposed to now not put your money there. You're supposed to take it someplace else because you're giving attention to those people who t lied and took advantage of you. This is, this is where it, it falls apart, that people are uncaring. They don't understand how powerful each person is. And I would suggest to you that is by design because the people who really are powerful, who own those banks, they have a motto, keep them stupid. Yeah, well, that's, um, that seems to be the, the motto of so much, um, so many people at the top, at the top of organizations, at the top of banking, at the top of politics, at the, you know, at the top of any, you see this whole idea of dumb them down, dumb them down. Right, right. right. Uh, and I find the, I find that uh, personally really um, appalling. I find it <laughs> objectionable because, you know, I'm on a, 
a, a lifelong quest to just constantly soak up knowledge and and even the chats that I'm having on podcasts is really one of the greatest advantages is the opportunity to just continue to learn and to continue to grow. And that's one of the right. amazing things that we can achieve um, yep. by communicating and sharing knowledge and being together. Yes. And so this yes. idea that we're supposed to dumb down, I think is it's one of the things that's going to be, I, I think if you labeled them earlier, nuclear crises, uh, climate change, pandemics, but I think a lack of education worldwide is an existential crisis because unless we educate the population to think on a solutions basis, like you've been saying, we have so many people uneducated turning to primitive religion for the answer, right, turning right, to hatred, right. turning to tribalism yes. instead of turning to solutions reason. basis. Yeah. Instead of oh. turning to reason and intellect and conversation and creating solutions. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's, there's the saying that an uneducated electorate electorate will eventually be governed by the proletarian abyss. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I present the present day for your, for your further review. It is you know? true. And, um, you know, I, I see, uh, so many people, it's, one of the things, look, to be perfectly honest, going back a step, I've turned Facebook off. I don't, um, I don't, I haven't engaged now for many days. I don't, I don't turn it on as a matter of course. I don't really engage, even if in their political discussions where, or the people are saying just dumb stuff. Um, like you were saying, ignorant things about Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, there are a lot of ignorant posts. I don't respond because it's, an ever, it's a never-ending stream. And where do you get on and where do you get off right. when the train is <clears throat> everlasting and doesn't pull into any station? Once you board that train, you're yeah. going. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I've taken opportunity to step off because it's, it doesn't stop. And for every bit of ignorance that you deal with, there's a billion pieces of ignorance following. It's like an appetite. Yeah. You know, once you've dealt right. with one, there are more coming. Um, so how, I mean, how have you been able to apply that? Because you, you have built this amazing organization in amongst all of this turmoil. Kempo 50 is 15 years old and you've managed to build this beautiful worldwide organizations in among communities that are global and i think we're mm -hmm. what 19 countries now right and the but the beautiful part i guess to lead the question a bit more is you built it on the notion of family and sharing and openness and honesty and leading by example the better qualities of humanity right and i went about it with the, the simple act of lead by example and follow by choice so Here's the way I am. Here's the way I was taught. This is the way I know it's supposed to be. So I'm going to do that. And if anybody wants to be a part of that, then they can come in and be a part of that energy. But you've got to do that. You know, the great thing is I made my money in the movies. So I don't need to sell black belts. I don't have to kiss anybody's ass. I can live the life of the way I understand it is to be a true martial artist and to really want to make the world a better place before I die. That's the game. Now, 
imagine this enormously powerful martial art that you and I have, this Kempo 5 Imagine the ferocity of that and the, and the, the animalistic execution of these techniques. I mean, it's just, un it is the ultimate street fighting martial art, you know, it, it, and it was designed to be that way by Ed Parker and we picked it up and carried it forward. <clears throat> but imagine having that dynamic power coupled with reason and intellect and a depth in caring for other people. And then what will happen then is you will draw people of that energy into you. And as long as you, there's the key, you never sell out. As long as you are exactly the reason why you came in, if I'm that way in five years and 10 years and 20 years, then you're gonna go, okay, I wanna participate. I wanna cooperate. I wanna bring something to the party. I wanna live the way those guys are living. And then it just grew exponentially. I mean, how did we find the most wonderful people in Bolivia? I mean, who goes to Bolivia to teach karate? You go to Bolivia to buy cocaine. That's it. You know? <laughs> so we've created this world, whether it's Bolivia or, or Belgium or Australia or New Zealand or, you know, Greece and Spain and you name it, Armenia, you know, all over the world. The only common denominator of all those things is we are the same energetically. We are that we look at the world the same way with the depth of the humanity that brings us together to be a better place, a better race, better world. So that, you know, there is this concept going all the way back to the Sanskrit writings of 6,000 years ago, where it's, it's called the duality of things, right? Because I'm born, I'm going to die. You know, and you, you pick anything in life, there's always this duality. Then they have this Advaita Vedanta concept, which is there is something that connects us all that is non-dual. It is a singularity. And so you live your life and then you end your life. And all these things almost exist in a yin-yang sort of relationship, you know. Right. But there is a common denominator that we can all focus on and we can get together with. And it's about the essential basic things of look out for one another, try to make the world a better place, create a safe environment where you trust the leadership and then you become the leadership. You yeah. know, we're not a typical organization. We are an organization of leaders. And so we share these ideas as you've been to Las Vegas countless times and we have our luncheon and there's people from all over the world and we share ideas about how we can make the world a better place through the venue of what we do, which is teach real martial arts. You know, the, the, uh, I know you've heard me say this many times, the misnomer now is, is, is MMA, mixed martial arts. There's nothing artistic in what they do. That doesn't mean there aren't real martial artists in there. There are. But there's nothing indigenous to that idea that reflects art. MMA should be called MMF, mixed martial fighting. Because for you and I, the thing that connects us is we have an extremely efficient martial art that we're very good at. Now, if we're put to task to actually have to use our art in the street, I'm going to bring everything I can possibly bring to the table to win that altercation if we digress to physical conflict. But understand, that is the lowest vibration that brings us together. I don't want to live down there. 
I want to live on a higher vibration. I want to bring the vibratory level of who we are as human beings up. I don't want to parasitically take advantage of those people that are down on. I don't want to champion that. If, if I, uh, let me you know, shorten it up and put it this way. If I were to get into an altercation in the street and I were to be so lucky enough to, to win that altercation, I would still feel terrible because you yeah. and I lowered ourselves to the bottom of the barrel yeah. that we had to engage like that. So win, lose, or draw, we're still at the bottom here, folks. We got to find a way to live that isn't that. And the paradox, the irony here is by becoming an expert in an art like what we have with its street application and its ferocity, if it's taught correctly, it will allow you to transcend beyond the fears of physical altercation, right? We're not afraid to get in a fight. I've been beat up before. I could be, but you know, it's not about winning or losing. What it is about is I will stand and deliver that I won't step back and I won't be taken advantage of because I'm not going to give you that authority. You want yeah. the authority to take advantage. You're going to have to come and get it. And so that can put you in a completely different stream of consciousness. And if we can do that on a world scale and then try to develop that consciousness and how can we help communities through our actions and our martial arts schools, how can we get involved to make the world a better place before we die? There's that duality again. <clears throat> you know, we got somewhere around a billion and a half heartbeats. Probably in the next 10 years with the medical advances, it's gonna be closer to two billion. But it's gonna end. So, yeah. so here's my question to you and the rest of the world. What, what the hell are you doing? What is it you're doing that's making the world a better place? How are you developing yourself? Not just so that you can buy another house and you can buy a better car and you can live off the backs of other people, but how can you enjoy life and live a good life and help other people to create a good life for them? If we're doing that and we are, you know, that's, that's why you're there, I would suggest. I don't mean to be speaking for you, but it certainly is uh, a big reason why you're here, if it's not the reason. Okay, now if I live out the rest of my life doing that and I can, I can accomplish something toward that end, um, when it's time for me to go, I'm good to go. When, you know, The Native Americans here say one day the great mystery will be solved. In other words, yeah. one day you're going to die and you're going to find out what's on the other side. Until then, you don't know. You can pretend you know, and you can scream from the highest mountaintop that you know, but it isn't the unknown that you're screaming about. It's the unknowable. And yeah. you will know one day, but until that day, you don't know. So let's rally round instead of somebody's book that you think is the absolute truth, instead of rallying, because those are always going to be in conflict with another. There will never be peace. Let's see if we can't find another way, another stream of consciousness to be a part of, where we really care about one another, we really create solutions to make the world a better place. If we can do that, we, we might survive the 50 years that Sam Harris talks about. It's interesting that um, so much of what you're talking about is, is translatable. Your vehicle to get this amazing message is martial arts. Sam Harris's vehicle is, uh, you know, podcasting and books and uh, that sort of thing, the, uh, the talks he gives. 
other people have chosen other vehicles. This is a, these are messages of uh, imploring people to be better in the time that they have on this earth, this short moment of time, that really in the grand scheme of things, we are a drop in an ocean as a, in terms of the number of people on this planet, one person is but a drop in the ocean. <clears throat> in terms of the time that we are on this time scale, humanity, and I love uh, Billy Bryson's um, The Short History of Nearly Everything, where he talks about right. spread your arms out and the, the history of the world, and you can wipe out humanity by one swipe of a medium-grade nail file across right. your fingernail, and there right. goes humanity right. onto the floor. And so right. we've been here an incredibly short amount of time. Yep. And our life, even in that short swipe of a nail file, our individual lives are but a moment. But in that moment, we can create such potency to move forward so that, yeah. that, that your time on earth now has brought all these people together that's given them an ideal to work forward, forwards with and, and, a, and tools to gather together to become harmonious with each other and work in concert towards common goals and common good. Right, right transfer those messages to anything else. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just right. that martial arts is such a wonderful vehicle because it does create, as you say, a confidence not to fight, to go, okay, I know how to right. fight. So why do I need to prove that? Right. I, I'm just not going to. Um, right. And so I think that's, that's the, the, you know, that's where the applause should be thrown. Mm. Oh, well said, very well said. Um, this to me is what the what is the most important thing for us to be a part of, um, and it truly is an amazing experience being a part of our five O family. And you know, for twenty years I was pushing the rock uphill, you know, and now the momentum is just enormous. I mean, the, these are good days to be Jeff Speakman, you know, and that and that wasn't that wasn't true that long ago, you know. Uh, but so the, was, these um, are really really good days in my life. What was some of the blowback you were getting? Uh, you mentioned it earlier, and I, I, you know, just for the sake of interest, and maybe the listening audience would like to just hear the, some of the blowback you were getting when in your bad days. Oh, it, most of it coming from other tempo guys who were all my senior. Almost all of it was about how ineffective my tempo is, how terrible it looks, how unpowerful it is. How, uh, you know, they would use like, a, you know, your, your arms are like the, the, the branches of a willow tree. There's no structure. There's no, I mean, you name it. I mean, it was just like, you know, all I thought was, okay, fair enough. You know, the, the whole thing is about continuous growth anyhow. All right. So let's say back now, 30 years ago, when Perfect Weapon came out, I certainly was not the fully developed martial artist, nor am I today. But I certainly, okay, let's say you're somebody who could see that weakness that I had. And of course, with Ed Parker being dead, why wouldn't you contact me and say, hey, Jeff, this is who I am. You know, I really loved Ed Parker and I really love Kempo and I'm proud of what you're doing. And I have something I'd like to share with you that might make your Kempo better. Would you mind, you know, let me take you to lunch and then let's work out for a day. You know, how about that? How about something like that? Instead of sitting on the sidelines and throwing darts at me, 
you know? So, yeah. so that position on the sidelines is for those who are unaccomplished. And that, that's why they're throwing darts, because I'm there and you're not. Because, and um, many people, many people contributed. You know, I started with Lou Angel, as you know, and Go Giroux. Then, then to Ed Parker, I learned my jujitsu from Todd Nathanson in Los Angeles. So, but aside from that, many people uh, helped me in my martial art journey. I learned from so many people, whether they knew they were teaching me or not, you know. And, and you and I, both as lifelong teachers, you know, your, your, best, your best teacher are your white belt students. Oh, you yeah. know, because oh, yeah. they're going to ask you questions that you either never thought of or you hadn't thought of for 30 years, right? <laughs> so so as long as you keep your spirit open like that and you can drink in that kind of information and always learn and always grow and always look for the betterment of other people, you're, you will become a better person because you put other people's welfare and benefit ahead of yours. Yeah, it's an amazing message. And again, you know, to come from the mouth of a, of a man who unfortunately would have been a 10th degree black belt this year if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah. So uh, that's, um, you know, I feel very disappointed on your behalf. I know you're very phil philosophical and um, matter of fact about it. And you just say, well, we'll just do that next year. But um, it's such a long time coming. And, you know, for those of us who, who spend their lives in your mentorship and who look up, look up to you as the leader of the organization and a leader of us, um, our group and our mentor and our coach and those sorts of things, you know, it's so, so um, <clears throat> in terms of time for you to become um, a 10th degree. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And hopefully next year, 2021 is nothing like 2020 and we can, um, we can do the camp again and we can yeah. have a big test and be together and celebrate you're going to 10th and, um, yeah. you know, it's going to be magnificent again. Perhaps um, for, I'm conscious of your time too, sir. I, I realise um, I've been, I've kept you. Um, can you just outline maybe what, what your vision, what, can you tell the listeners what Kempo 50 is about? So what's it, what's it born of and its primary philosophy? And then where do you want to take it into the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it got the name Kempo 5.0 because it is the fifth evolution of Kempo, which was Ed Parker's mandate. You know, when he was alive, he evolved Kempo. He, he was always about evolving and growing and learning and, and change this and move that and bring these ideas in. It's what made it American Kempo. You know, it got dubbed American Kempo. It's, it started in China as Chuan Fa. Then when it came to the Okinawa and then became a Japanese art, Kenpo is the Japanese word for Chuan Fa. You know, so that's where the word Kempo came from. And karate is a Japanese word. So then it went from there to the Hawaiian Islands, enter Ed Parker, and then he brought it from there <clears throat> to the mainland United States in 54. But the truly extraordinary thing that he did was he Americanized it. So what does that mean? He brought physics and science and cause and effect relationships. Those are the analysis that we use to try to find out how effective our art is and how we can make it more effective. 
It's a scientific application of ancient fighting techniques. And this alone is why, you know, some people call Mr. Parker, you know, the father of American karate or whatever. To me, he's the Einstein of martial arts. This man was so brilliant. Just think of this for a second. He's been gone for 30 years, more than 30 years. So 35, 40 years ago, he developed an art that could in, engulf a completely different martial art, which presented a problem, i.e. grappling, fighting on the ground. And we can create a solution to that just by following the rules and regulations and the physics and the principles that he laid out 35, 40, 50 years ago. It's yeah. truly an extraordinary, you know, and this is what Einstein did. You know, there's still people today who are using his equations and coming up with solutions. And if you know about that, that, you know, the cosmological constant that he came up with, which was to solve a mathematically, he just kind of threw something in there. He called it the biggest mistake of his life. Well, it turns out it was true. You know, it's yeah. going to be dark matter or some kind of gravitational wave or something. But but my point of why I, I see these two, you know, intertwined like that is this is exactly what Ed Parker did. Now, how did we get there? There are three quotes from Ed Parker, which, you know, I went to his house every week for a year and a half or for three and a half years. Then I did the movie, The Perfect Weapon. He was on the set with me every day. We were amazingly close. And that's important because in that time frame and all those transitions, I understood how he thought. Because I understood how he thought, I could then apply those principles moving forward over here. And that's exactly what I did. <clears throat> the three quotes from him are, when I'm gone, I hope no one traditionalizes my art. Hello. Almost everyone yeah. has. Yeah. If you always remember, Kempo will be the art of perpetual change. It will never become obsolete. Okay, here we are doing exactly that. And uh, that a real martial artist pursues change. He doesn't uh, fear it. Real martial artist doesn't fear change, he creates it. So those are the three things that motivated me to go forward, aside from the fact that when the Gracies came here in 1991 from Brazil and brought, you know, this 800-pound gorilla, you know, in, and we had no ground fighting. So, you know, you could do the ostrich response thing, which is the rest of the Kempo world's done it. Or we decided, we said, okay, let's embrace this. Let's bring it in. Let me learn it. Many of my students were part of that world. And we created this solution base for how Kempo can build a bridge to the future by including that skill set and, and interweaving it into the fabric of Kempo. So it looks to the outsider like, oh, we just added jujitsu to Kempo, but we didn't. Because what we do on the ground, they don't do because they're a sport. We're not. So we learned what your rules were. So we, we created techniques that violate your rules because I only want to win. I don't, I don't care about yeah. all the other stuff that goes with it. I want to go home. Yeah, that's oh, right. You leave me alone and let me go home. Yeah. So that, that was the thinking. <clears throat> now you have to take a second and look at the converse of that. You know, his statement of, you know, remember Kempo will always change or else it will become obsolete. Okay, now you throw that up there and you go to the rest of the Kempo world. You go, okay, what side are you on? What have you yeah. done? Yeah. What are you doing? So what you're doing by default, not by intent, is creating the opportunity for Kempo to shrink away and maybe eventually become obsolete. Because 
once you go to the ground, if you don't have any skills, you just should. Sorry, somebody's calling me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, okay, we're back. So um, my my wife and stepkids are going to take me out for Father's Day here tonight for dinner. So. Oh, yes. Happy Father's yeah. Day. It's, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Father's Day in Australia. So I, uh, I completely yeah. forgot about that. Right, right. Um, uh, but that's, that's the point. By default, you're actually promoting the eventual obsolescence of the art of Kempo. And we're not going to let that happen. We turn the corner and... I think that's so true because um, a lot of Kempo people, A, that I see now are starting to incorporate BJJ into their training. So they've they finally got the picture, whereas you go back to right. 20 years and they were all about, no, no, you just do Kempo on the ground or even dumber, I would not be taken to the ground. And I mean, what? <laughs> oh, oh. I think it was you that told me you went to a Larry Tatum seminar and somebody asked him, what would you do on the, if somebody would, took you down and was sitting on top of you? And he said, well, I would just do one of our tempo techniques we call five swords. I would just do five swords laying on my back. You know, I fell out of my chair laughing because this is obviously a person who has no concept of what goes on down there. I, you know, I put on a white gi and a white belt and for four years I went into a jujitsu class and I got my ass kicked every yeah. night. And, yeah. but I learned, you know, I learned what we didn't know. And then it became our collective job. All of us are participated in trying to figure out how we can bring these things together. Now, this is where I fell out of favor with a lot of the other Kempo seniors is in that job of trying to infuse this new thing into Kempo, it exposed Kempo's weaknesses. Because remember, Kempo 4.0, 3.0, the old Kempo, that was designed to fight a drunk in the bar. Kempo 5.0 is designed to fight the drunk MMA guy in the bar. You know? <laughs> so, and it's such a different world. So in order to bring that skill set in, and then you, you look critically at the entire system, then you saw, okay, we got a problem here. We got to take this technique out because it's going to get you in trouble, create a new technique to create a solution. And that was the, that was the problem 15 years ago. Who the hell are you to eliminate techniques from the Parker system? And, you know, my response is, well, what are you doing? You know, I mean, this has to be done, guys. We got we to gotta approach this 800-pound gorilla head on. We got we to gotta do something about this. Or else, we, as you see the rest of the Kempo world, it's a shrinking group of people. Why would a 17-year-old go study Kempo who has no answer for how to fight on the ground? They're not. They're going to go over here to the MMA school or the Jiu-Jitsu school. They might come and take some Kempo, but they're not going to be like you and me. So we yeah, had, so to create, find, had to create I a find, solution. Uh, sorry, sir. Um, I find one of the wonderful marketing tools that we have is the ability to say you've made a choice by entering a martial arts school to do martial arts. So there's something about the wearing of a uniform and the saluting right. and the discipline right. and the, um, and the concentration and the, uh, what do I want to say? The, the heart, there's something about the soul of, of a martial art that you're looking for, but you want to learn right. how to fight. 
So right. Kempo bridges the gap between that traditional art and the mixed martial arts because we do fight. We'll get the headgear on and the mouth guards and the right. shin guards right. and the gloves and we'll bang. We'll right. go to the ground and we'll roll around, but we'll also stand up in a uniform and we'll bow and we'll salute and we'll hug and we'll thank each other and we'll have the exactly. discipline that comes with the martial arts. And so right. this is where Kempo sits in this beautiful ability to have both. So right. you're not losing the integrity, you're not losing the art, but you're still learning to fight. A lot of people right. don't want to learn a ring sport because they don't want to go into a ring. A lot of people don't want to do the traditional arts because it perhaps lacks some of that street credibility. And so you find yourself in a Kempo and you get the best of both worlds. And that's certainly one of the things that I enjoy most about it is the banging comes with the forms and the, and the, the sets that we do and the meditative horse stance and all of these other traditional martial arts aspects. Right. Right. Yes. Sorry. Um, I'm being hailed. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe this is really great because, you know, first I got to say, because everybody's watching, you know, you are my contemporary. You have honored me by asking me to be your instructor. And, and you are one of the best, you're one of the greatest martial artists I've ever met. And so I'm very, very fortunate to have you as my student, as my friend, as part of my Tempo 5 family. So I, <clears throat> I really, truly appreciate who and what you are. You've spent your entire life becoming this amazing martial artist. And you bring all of that with you to when you come into the, to the 5 world. So it's an honor and a pleasure to have you both as a student and as my friend. So I, I just think the world of you, Tony, and, and I'm just so glad that you're in my life. Thank you, sir. I feel very much the same. And, uh, you know, joining 5.0 and, uh, well, making the decision to come across to you and to be your student has been the best thing I've ever did. And every single year, my, my, um, my confidence, but my drive to do Kempo has grown since I've been... Mm -hmm in 5-0 every year no, I, the, the appeal for the martial arts just has got better and better and better whereas i think for most people it wanes where you go yeah you know i've done this for I've, i'm this is my 39th year the end of my 39th year so wow. i've done this for 39 <laughs> years yeah maybe i'll try some, you know i'm getting old i'm getting broke not in 5-0 i've I got to 5.0 and I've just gone up and, and my passion for right. the art has just grown every year. So I, I only have you to thank for that. So thank you very much. Yeah, so, sir, uh, again, it is uh, Father's Day. You've got people about to take you out to dinner. Um, if people are in the United States and want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that now? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the easiest guy in the world to find, Las Vegas. JeffSpeakman.com will take you there. Jeff Speakman LV for Las Vegas will take you there. You, I'm just the easiest in the world to get a hold of. Uh, and it's interesting that no one wants to get a hold of me, but that's not important now. Uh, but we have no, we have a we we do we we do have a great family. It's uh, you know you know in short, let me say when I was doing the movie star thing, it it was a gas. You know it it was so much fun and. Uh, 
have all that wonderful stuff. But it's nothing compared to what we have now. This is important. This is depth. This is meaningfulness. This is a life well lived. And, and yeah. that's exactly what I'm after. You know, so. And uh, I know we were going to talk about other stuff. And we didn't have time. But if everybody that watches your stuff appreciates this, maybe you'll ask me back and I'll be there in a second. Fantastic. I'd love that because you, you're, you're spot on. There's a, there's a hundred different things that uh, still we could talk about and every one of those will be equally as enjoyable. So um, I wish you all the very best. Please pass on my best to the family. Have a great uh, Father's Day. And um, I will no doubt chat to you again very soon. All right. All the best. Take care, my friend. Take care. Good on you. Bye, Bye everybody. See ya. Good on you.